So, of course, we are continuing in our series in the book of Revelation this morning, and we're looking at the sixth trumpet today in the passage that I just read for you, Revelation chapter 9, verses 12 to 21. And by way of reminder, I'm teaching through Revelation from the perspective of what many have called the cyclical view. And in this view, there are several cycles in the book of Revelation coming one after another. And each one of these cycles comprises the time period between Christ's first coming and His second coming. And each cycle is analogous to a replay. That's the metaphor I've been using to try to help illustrate this. A replay maybe in a sporting event where somebody scores, a, I was going to say scores a touchdown, but maybe I'm going to say someone hits it for six. And there's all these angles of the play, right? And one is slow motion, and one is from overhead, and one is at field level, and there's all these angles. It's the same event, and yet there are different things emphasized by the different replays. Something like this is what's going on in each of the cycles from the perspective of the cyclical view. And the replay angle, so to speak, of the seven trumpets is the judgment of the wicked. That's what's being emphasized as we read this seven trumpets cycle of the book of Revelation. As opposed to, say, the seven seals cycle, in which the emphasis was on what we should expect as Christians in this age, which is generally suffering, like everybody suffers, and then more suffering on top of that because we're Christians. So not only do we suffer like everyone else suffers in ways common to mankind, but we are also persecuted. So we should expect that that's going to be our lot in life. And yet, through it all and in it all, Christ Jesus rides out conquering and to conquer. That was what was kind of highlighted in the first cycle of the seven seals. But in this cycle, the seven trumpets, God's people have prayed for... God to judge. How long, O Lord, till you judge and avenge our blood? And in the seven trumpets, what we see is this emphasis on God's judgment and God's vengeance. And by way of review, the first four trumpets introduce us to thematic correspondence to the plagues of Egypt. There is hail and water turning to blood and darkness. And this allusion to the plagues narrative for those of us who are familiar with the the Old Testament, is going to be readily apparent when we start thinking of hail and water turning to blood and darkness and so on and so forth. We're going to immediately think, hey, where have we heard this before? The ten plagues narrative. And then this allusion to the plagues is further strengthened or, or confirmed if we were wondering, should we be thinking along these lines or not? Is this, is this a legitimate connection or is it just our crazy minds making a connection where there isn't one? This connection between the plagues narrative and Revelation 8 and and 9 and the trumpets is further strengthened by the statement in in 9.20, chapter 9 and verse 20, that the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. So we have this very clear allusion in the trumpet narrative to the same sort of thematic correspondence and even the same language being used so that we're we're legitimized in thinking in categories of Israel and Egypt and plagues and judgment and God's rescue and so on and so forth. The use 
of the same imagery and the same languages and the same language, pardon me, as the plague's narrative, this correspondence indicates to us that we ought to think of the trumpet's narrative in the way in a way similar to the way that we think about the ten plagues narrative. There will be a heightening of the intensity of the trumpets, just as there was a heightening of the intensity of the plagues. But in the end, there will be a victory of Yahweh over Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt, so to speak, and God's people will be delivered. When the last trumpet blows, just as when the last plague happened, Finally, God's people are free. This is what's going on in the broader seven trumpets narrative. And we saw last week that God uses demons to plague, quote, those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, end quote. Revelation 9 and verse 4. He gives the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, to a fallen star who has been cast down to the pit, whose name is in Hebrew Abaddon, and in Greek Apollyon, who is the king of the locust horde that comes up from the pit. As we saw last week, looking at not only the imagery that's used here, I mean, you might render a pretty reasonable hypothesis, even just based on what I just said, but when we go and look at Old Testament texts, we're confirmed in our understanding that this character is indeed Satan. So the central image of the fifth trumpet is God using Satan and a, his locust horde of demons to judge the wicked or to plague Egypt as it were. That's what's going on in, in the fifth trumpet. The sixth trumpet, which we're looking at this morning, continues along the same lines. God continues to plague those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. But this time, the imagery is that God uses an army of horsemen, twice 10,000 times 10,000, which I think is, I believe, 200 million. Some, some people are nodding, so I know you all have had your calculators out. Now, both the imagery of plagues against Egypt and the correspondence between the king of Babylon and Satan, which we explored last week, continue to be operative here in the sixth trumpet. So we, we have seen that the similarity with the ten plagues narrative. We also saw from looking at Isaiah 14 last week that there is a double reference in that chapter calling the king of Babylon the star who has fallen and been cast down to the pit. And so we saw that that was somewhat similar to when Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. On one hand, he's talking to Peter. And on another hand, he's talking to Satan. In a similar way, in Isaiah 14, God is talking in, at one level to the king of Babylon. And yet at another level, it is Satan who is behind the actions and the intentions of the king of Babylon in that chapter, such that God is rebuking Satan there. And so, with those images and concepts in mind, the sixth trumpet develops these images and concepts in powerful ways. 
to understand properly how these images and concepts are developed in Revelation 9, however, we need to go back to Jeremiah 46. You can flip there if you like. I'm going to just reference a few, chap- a few verses. I'm not going to read the whole chapter just for the sake of time. But be like the Bereans who we just read about and search the scriptures and see if these things are so. In Jeremiah 46 and verse 2, we read this. About Egypt, concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates at Carchemish, and which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. So just pause there. So the king of Babylon is at the river Euphrates fighting against the Egyptians. That fallen star who has been brought down to the pit, that king of Babylon, that Satan, is fighting against a Satan, a satanic figure at least. That king of Babylon is at the river Euphrates in Jeremiah 46 and verse 2, fighting against the Egyptians. There is with him, I, I highlight that to show you that you should be seeing thematic correspondence already with what's going on in Revelation chapter 9. But look here and see in Jeremiah 46, 23, who is with this fallen star cast down to the pit, this king of Babylon. Jeremiah 46, 23 tells us an army is with him more numerable than locusts. They are without number. This, of course, reminds us vividly of the imagery of the fifth trumpet in which it is Satan leading an army of locusts to plague the Egyptians, as it were. Those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Not not Israel, but Egypt. But Jeremiah 46 also tells us in verses 3 and 4 that this same army, which is like locusts without number, is an army of armored horsemen, which is the imagery of the sixth trumpet in Revelation. Prepare buckler and shield and advance for battle. Harness the horses. Mount, O horsemen. Take your stations with your helmets. Polish your spears. Put on your armor. It is these events and images of Jeremiah 46 that the vision of Revelation chapter 9 is primarily alluding to. Building upon what we covered last week, we've already identified this fallen star cast down to the pit named Abaddon in Hebrew and Apollyon in Greek as being Satan. We, we see that not only from how he's described in Revelation 9, but as I said, when we go back to Isaiah 14, we see this. You will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon, Isaiah 14 and verse 4, and then skipping down to verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you were cut, ground, how you were cut to the ground, 
you who laid the nations low, you who said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. When we go and look at Isaiah 14, we see that the king of Babylon is, in his historical context, a satanically influenced figure. And so Revelation picks up on this imagery. Not to tell us that the king of Babylon is going to rise out of his grave and terrorize the first century church or anything like this. But saying that, look, there is a contemporary Babylon. There is a contemporary king of Babylon behind whom are satanic forces. He's still at the head of an army of locusts. He's still at the head of an army of horsemen. And yet, he is God's servant. Remember what Revelation 9 says. They, this army has been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year which denotes God's sovereignty even over this release of these horsemen, this release of these locusts, this giving of the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. This is all according to God's exact timeline. And so, the king of Babylon, as it were, Satan, will ride out with an army of locusts, an army of horsemen, in judgment. But who is it against? Only those, according to Revelation 9.4, who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. In other words, in the imagery of the Ten Plagues narrative, not against Israel, but against Egypt. That's exactly what's happening in Jeremiah 46. The king of Babylon is riding out against Egypt to destroy Egypt. Revelation 9 is using the imagery of Jeremiah 46 as well as using the imagery of the Ten Plagues narrative. Now, of course, these events and these images are elaborated on and expanded upon in Revelation in apocalyptic style with grotesque and nightmare-like amplification typical of the genre apocalyptic literature designed not merely to inform our understanding but also to provoke a visceral response to make us fall down as it were the way that John fell down overwhelmed twice in the book of Revelation once in chapter 1 and verse 17 and again in chapter 19 and verse 10 the other or one of the other most prominent apocalyptic books is Daniel And Daniel says at one point, after I saw these visions, I lay down and I was sick for days. This is what these visions do, is they impress not only information upon our minds, but they make quite an an impression upon our psyche. They're designed to provoke a very visceral, emotional, psychological response as well. So what Revelation 9 is doing is it's drawing on the imagery of 
God plaguing the Egyptians. It's drawing on the imagery of God using the Babylonians to destroy the Egyptians. Again, it's not telling us that the king of Babylon is going to rise from his grave or something like this, but it's telling us that there is, as it were, a contemporary Babylon. An ungodly, demonic army with Satan at its head. And as there is a contemporary Babylon, there is a contemporary Egypt, so to speak. And, and I'm not talking about the literal, literal North African state. But there is an Egypt, an Egypt which persecutes an Israel. And again, I'm not talking about the Middle Eastern nation state. In the imagery of Revelation, in this trumpet narrative here, what we see is that there is an Egypt which persecutes an Israel. An ungodly, unbelieving, idolatrous group of people who persecute the true people of God who love and worship Yahweh. And as they are oppressed and as they are mistreated, the people of God, by these Egyptians, they cry out to the Lord. And as we read at the end of Exodus chapter 2, so it is in this day and age, God heard, God saw, God remembered, God knew. And what did he do in the Ten Plagues narrative? He came in for the rescue of his people and he plagued the Egyptians until they were delivered, until they were released. He plagued them with heightening, increasing intensity until they were released, until God got glory over Pharaoh and over the gods of Egypt and the people of God were rescued and delivered. That's what happens in the the Ten Plagues narrative, and that's what happens in the trumpet narrative. What happened later on in history, God brought the Babylonians against the Egyptians for their sins against God's people. What happens in the trumpet narrative, God brings this satanic figure who is identified with the king of Babylon in Isaiah 14. This army without low our army without number of locusts and this army of horsemen at one and the same time in Jeremiah 46. There is this army again in Revelation 9. God is bringing a Babylon against Egypt for the sake of Israel. This is what's going on here in Revelation chapter 9. So we, the Israel of God, as we are called in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 16, Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, because we are Christ's, according to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, we, the Israel of God, are spared these plagues described here in the trumpets. Just as it was back in Exodus 11, verses 6 and 7. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. 
So what is happening in the fifth trumpet is that an army of locusts led by the king of Babylon in both Joel and Jeremiah, that fallen star cast down to the pit, comes to plague the Egyptians, as it were. Only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. In the sixth trumpet, they fight against the Egyptians at the Euphrates, as in Jeremiah 46, that the Egyptians may be punished for their sins against Israel. This is the imagery of the fifth and the sixth trumpets drawn from Old Testament events and images. It is an army of horsemen led by the king of Babylon against Egypt in the sixth plague, as the former plague was an army of locusts led by the king of Babylon against Egypt. Here is God plaguing the Egyptians in judgment and ultimately for the rescue and deliverance of His people. Let's consider now the applications of this imagery to us in the modern day. First, consider each of you here this morning, whether you are an Egyptian or an Israelite, so to speak. Again, it's important to stress that this is Old Testament imagery and not modern nation-state distinctions. A modern-day Israelite could be an Egyptian with respect to the imagery of Revelation. Outside of Christ, without the seal of God on his forehead, subject to the plagues and judgments of God. Conversely, a literal Egyptian could be numbered among the Israel of God by faith in the Messiah, as other Gentiles, like most of us in this room, are. So consider whether you are an Egyptian or an Israelite, so to speak. Have you trusted in Christ Jesus? Have you taken shelter under the wings of Yahweh, the God of Israel? Or are you still worshipping pagan gods? Are you bowing down literally or metaphorically before other things? Gold and silver, comfort and ease, pleasure and gratification, family before faith, worshiping self instead of the Savior. If you are outside of Christ, something else is your God other than the true God, then you are an Egyptian in the imagery of Revelation. Subject and liable one day to the same plagues as the Egyptians in the fifth and sixth trumpet here. Unless, unless you repent and look to Christ in faith. Which is a course of action open to you. Look at the tragedy of Revelation chapter 9 and verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries 
or their sexual immorality or their theft. This is, this is a real tragedy. As I, as I really belabored the point last week, this is an absolute tragedy. That the Lord would manifest not only His kindness, but also His severity in the temporal affairs of this world and bring many lowercase j judgments upon Egypt, so to speak, before that final day with the uppercase j judgment. That God would plague a nation nine times and yet still the tenth would be necessary because they would not repent. In fact, that God would plague a nation ten times and yet it would still be necessary to drown Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea because they would not repent. Consider what the trumpets teach us as there is this heightening and this escalation. The first four trumpets are blown. Hail and darkness and water turning to blood and so on and so forth. And there's a third of natural resources wiped out. It says many people are killed, but whoa, 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 after the four trumpets are blown. To those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. What a tragedy that the fifth and the sixth trumpet are necessary after four have already been blown. What a tragedy that God has to continue to escalate His judgments. And what a tragedy that after the fifth and the sixth trumpet, still, there are people who would not repent. Will you be among this number who just would not repent? For all the judgments of God that you've seen, the brokenness of this world because of Adam's sin. God said to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you, which is why we have earthquakes and tornadoes and tsunamis and so on and so forth. And on the day you eat of it, you shall surely die, which is why we've all been to funerals. Of all these things that you see, all of these natural disasters and all of these car accidents and all of this cancer, why will you be numbered among those who will not repent? Will you be among this number who just would not repent? Or will you heed the invitation of God? Listen, I'm going to go back to Jeremiah 46. Will you heed the invitation of God contained right in the middle of Jeremiah 46? That chapter contains an oracle against the Egyptians and talks about the king of Babylon coming with his locust horde and coming with his armored horsemen to destroy and defeat Egypt. But right in the middle of that chapter, listen to what God says to the Egyptians. 
verses 10 and 11. That day is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, to avenge himself on his foes. The sword shall devour and be sated and drink its fill of their blood. For the Lord God of hosts holds a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. Back to Revelation for one second, just to highlight this. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. That day is the day of the Lord of hosts, a day of vengeance. But right in the middle of this, listen to what the Lord says in Jeremiah 46, 11. Go up to Gilead, which is in Israel, and take balm. O virgin daughter of Egypt. Look, down here we got a lot of humidity. Up in Canada, in the winter when it gets dry, your lips crack because it's so dry and so cold. So you put on some lip balm. It's a word we don't often use. But it's like a cream, an ointment, a medicine. Not for destruction, not for vengeance, for healing. Even as the Lord says, release the angels bound of the great river Euphrates. Even as He says that day is a great day of vengeance. Listen to what He says to the virgin daughter of Egypt. Go up to Gilead, which is in Israel, and take Baal. This refers back to Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 22. When God's people were looking all around to other nations and other gods to help them. And God says... Is there no balm in Gilead that you have to go looking elsewhere for help? It's a sarcastic thing that the Lord's saying. It's a rhetorical device. In other words, there is balm in Gilead. Why do you have to go elsewhere? You don't need to go elsewhere. The balm you need, you can find at home, Israel. There is balm in Gilead. And not only are the Israelites told to stop looking elsewhere for balm, But the Egyptians are told, go up to Gilead and take Balaam. In Jeremiah, there is Balaam in Gilead. And we we know, of course, from the unfolding of redemptive history that this Balaam in Gilead is revealed to be Jesus, the Messiah, who is the Savior first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. In chapter 8 for the Jew. Chapter 46 for the Gentile. If you are not trusting in Christ yet this morning, you should be and you may be. Go up to Gilead and take some bombs. Shift your confidence away from yourself or anyone else and trust in the balm of Gilead to heal you. Turn away from your idolatries, or in the language of Revelation 9, from your worship of demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, and your murders and your sorceries and your sexual immorality and your thefts. Turn from these things. Repent. Go up to Gilead. Take some balm. Take hold of Jesus. 
Now on the other hand, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are Israel and not Egypt in the imagery of Revelation chapter 9, then be comforted not only by Revelation 9, which is certainly comforting, only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Be comforted by that, but be comforted also by what it says right in Jeremiah 46. Again, in the context of the Babylonians coming to defeat the Egyptians. Verses 27 and 28. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, for I am with you. I will make a full end of all the nations to which I have driven you, but of you I will not make a full end. This is both the application and the main idea of the sixth trumpet intended to be conveyed to God's people in all ages. Though those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads shall be plagued by an army of locusts and armed horsemen with Satan at the helm, it is only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads who shall be plagued by an army of locusts and an army of horsemen with Satan at the helm. In the imagery of Revelation, not given to us explicitly, but nevertheless indisputably there by a clear illusion, it is not Israel who suffers the plagues, but Egypt. It is not Israel who is defeated by the king of Babylon at the Euphrates, but Egypt. What blessedness there is to be in Christ, to know that the, the fifth and sixth trumpets must blow, but that their battle cry announces trouble for your enemies, not for you. That God is with us and we need not fear nor be dismayed as this Babylonian horde falls upon the Egyptians. One day, when the last trumpet blows, we shall have quiet and ease and none shall make us afraid. This is all possible because of Jesus who lives a righteous life in the place of sinners that He might earn for us the righteousness that is needed for a right standing before Him. Jesus, who died a punishment-bearing death in the place of sinners, that He might suffer the punishment that God requires to be meted out before we could be justly justified. Jesus, who rose, going through suffering and death, to resurrection and life everlasting so that we could go through suffering and death to resurrection and life everlasting. Jesus, 
the balm of Gilead. Go up to Gilead, whosoever will. Though the fifth and sixth trumpet blow, go up to Gilead. Though it is a day of vengeance, go up to Gilead and take balm. Go up to Gilead, Israel. Go up to Gilead, Judah. Go up to Gilead, Egypt. Take balm. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 